XX Equals is a focused, user-centered innovation collective within Canadian Ford, and this is our podcast. Our aim is to close the gap between perception and reality when designing for women. So jump in and join us as we talk to some of the leaders, experts, and trailblazers in this space. Hello and welcome to XX Equals podcast. Uh, my name is Merle Hall. I am founder of XX Equals and CEO of Canadian Four. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Effie Hadjipulu, who, um, well, I, I was going to introduce you, Effie, but I'm going to actually let you do that yourself. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to have you here with us today. Um, I know we are going to have an incredible conversation because uh, there's just so, as you said earlier, there's just so much to say on the topic. Um, but Effie, for our listeners today, could you kick off just by telling us a bit about you and your career to date and take us through that journey? Sure. Uh, first of all, yeah, thanks, Mel, for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I've, I've listened to pretty much every single episode and it's been really enlightening, but also like really angering when all the stories come up and all these points and you think, come on, we should be doing a lot better than this. So um yeah, I'm really glad to be part of this conversation and thanks for setting this whole thing up. It's amazing. Um, right, so about me and my career, um, I'm Effie. Uh, I'm at the moment a senior UX researcher uh, working for the government. Uh, I work for myself, uh, so I'm a freelance uh, consultant. And how it all came together, I guess, um, it was never the thing, and I don't know if... Uh, People out there that know UX probably have heard this before, that like UX is never the starting point. It's always like people end up doing it. And it's similar for me. Um, I studied psychology and I know from uh, listening to your podcast that people that have come from a more design sector, that tends to be more of a split in judges and so on. But psychology was definitely a sea of female faces around me. A lot of women wanted to uh, help others, basically. And I was part of that, so I was there, wanted to help others in some way or another. So it started from that, but also there was another bit of me. I loved maths, and I was a massive computer gamer. And I felt really lonely in that role, that, like, I didn't know who to speak to about gaming. And even, like, playing games, I never knew what games to pick and so on. Um, so when it, come, it came to sort of choosing my... Uh, specialization, I guess, in psychology, uh, this course came up, uh, a friend was doing called human-computer interaction, uh, which is, I guess, what we now call UX, but it was very, very much in its infancy. Uh, it was in Bath, it was the second year it was running, and it just really was, it felt like I came home, like, because it had a lot of psychology, of, like, understanding people, but it also, how do we bring this in? It was more on, like, technology perspective. How do we bring that thinking in there? So, yeah, I love that, and I just did that course. And then in that course, I did a bit of uh, work on wh what is the game industry like for women? I mean, we're talking about... Um, it was about 2001. So it was at the years of like Lara Croft and Tomb Raider. I don't know if you have image of this, but do you think like women proportions, for example, when it came to characters, it was all about how women looked, tight tops, short shorts, all, you know, holding guns in particular ways, 
anywhere. It was not pretty. And I think it was another really popular game where you could actually slap women that was mainly prostitutes and so on. And so it was awful. It was really bad. So anyway, so I did an ace in this and it sort of really got me passionate about it. So yeah, and then I kind of had a few years of floating around thinking, what am I going to do? People not know what was what UX was. I didn't quite know what UX was, you know, really, even after doing the course. So I, I did a lot of work in charities kind of frontline, but also managing services. And I kind of always had this feeling in the back of my mind that actually this course I did in UX, I probably will never use it and I will never do technology. You know, I had it very much sectioned is like, it's about technology and uh, digital products. And it, I don't want to like be making money or, you know, I want to be helping people. But then actually the more I worked in charities, I realized that um I kind of became disillusioned about what it is to help others and that actually the more frontline you are, unfortunately, the least help you can do because when the rules are broken or the system is broken, there's so much you can do. Um, and then it sort of kind of started on to me that like, well, what if I help by designing the, the service or designing the system. So it was then it's sort of like my, my, my thinking changed a bit and it kind of came together that like I can still help people, but the scale is changed. Um, so I kind of became more involved in like, let's change the thing, let's change the product, let's change the service and maybe even the system. And uh, here I am. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a brilliant synopsis of that journey. And also I think that realization that a lot of people share, which is, something in terms of frontline helping people which should have felt the most rewarding and the most sort of gratifying way of actually really delivering and seeing that impact often it's lost because of the services and because of the products and because of the, the process and the bureaucracy that goes alongside you know and, and actually hinders us as a as a country as um, you know in our ability to actually deliver and there's this acceptance around that, isn't there? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think also because change is hard. Um, and I think um, I, I'm definitely would say I, I wasn't alone in feeling like disillusioned and a bit almost angry with the system and like how almost like helpless you feel and you want to help others and you have the responsibility for helping others, but equally feeling like, but I can't because there's so much out of my control that is broken. Um, but, you know, I, I know from my own journey, for example, as a woman working in charities for almost 10 years, um, it wasn't easy to see outside of that picture and that system and also where my role could be and how other industries work. Um, and it, it must, it, I must say it was like almost forced upon me, but it was like the best uh, thing that happened to me is because I stopped uh, to have a family. And it was while having a family, I had this moment of, which I'm sure um, other people will um, uh, share with me, this kind of moment of thinking, who am I? What am I doing? I love my kids. I want to go back to work. I love my kids. I want to go back to work. And then still feeling like, actually, if I'm going to leave my child to go back to work, I want this to be super worthwhile. And I had enough of this frustrating, helpless situations where I just go and you know play long because I just want you know um but it was a hard change and it was very hard to get in it as well uh, a understand my role beyond what I knew but also actually start climbing that ladder 
Yeah, no, I, I can absolutely see that. And I think that point around making it meaningful, that was part of the thinking behind, well, first, when, when we at KD in 2015, 2016, defined our purpose around designing a better world. And, and it's exactly the same as what you're talking about, Effie, actually making sure that we can deliver some positive impact and drive some positive change through the work that we do. And then, you know, the next stage of that for us was in 2021 with XX Equals, which had been in my head for, well, you know, probably the best part of a decade, really, when I just looked around these rooms and not seen any women and or very few women. And these are products that are being designed for women. And um, the underrepresentation, not just in terms of that process, but in terms of the validation, in terms of the the insights, you know, at every the decision making, at every stage, we see that lack of representation, and and this is kind of why it's so important for you know people like you, Effie, to make that decision to to pursue that. But equally, as you say, and I think I've heard this from a number of people as well. After having a family, you know, I've got two kids as well myself. Coming back into the workplace. Um, the you know it, it's not easy to do in terms of coming in you know progressing having a voice um, and you know actually maintaining that balance at the same time absolutely and I don't know if you found the same mail um, and I know KD is much more with it about, about flexibility and so on but I think this is a massive part of also why we're at, uh, where we're at, in my opinion, in terms of equality in the workplace. But even just making the life work balance work, it's a real challenge. And I think it seemed to be more of a challenge than it was um, in charities, for example. Um, so, um, yeah, because I remember even when I went for my first interview, uh, in a kind of UX research type role and we talked about days of working and hours of working and I think I, I asked for something very small like could I work from home on one day only just so I can pick up my daughter because the commute to pick up my daughter would have made it possible to basically do a full day's work and so on and they said no but just because um you know, it, it just they didn't want to set the precedence and also because of the, the way they were working in the sort of five days uh, design sprints, they wanted someone to be there five days and obviously it's often that they go all the time and basically there was just no support for if you had family life, if you had any other responsibilities outside um, of work, it was just not something that they felt they could, um, they could support. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's a big, big part of it. I think flexibility. Yeah. And I think, um, we're still not seeing that broader, you know, it's exactly as you're describing Effie, we're still not seeing that broader acceptance. And I think, you know, on what that means now in this post COVID world, my concern is that the flexibility that has been granted now by the fact that we've, we've got this proven out principle that we can, um, we can work and it can be effective and you know but ultimately if there are more women which uh, according to the stats that are coming out that's that's what we're the expectation is there'll be more women that will take up um, that sort of offer of remote working and they're not then in the office and they're not necessarily front of mind 
are we going to start seeing that a challenge you know when, when people who are progressing through their career potentially get overlooked for promotions or or don't um you know don't have that impact in a lot of businesses where it's about you know what's in front of mind and who's who's actually um, got the presence in the office because with this hybrid model that we're going to see we're going to see a huge amount of 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 variation across not just across businesses but within businesses as well that is a, a really good point mel and um i hadn't actually thought about the repercussions of that kind of the more um you know if you want to come come and if you don't it doesn't matter sort of thing and what might that mean in terms of who is actually going to be at the office and how would that look like um yeah and i guess yes i think that that is a big challenge to have to overcome and i feel like will it be a real option or is it going to be just a more passive aggressive oh yeah of course you can work the way you want but actually all the meetings happen in the office and actually we are going for drinks at six o'clock afterwards and actually you know yes i did you know the ceo did have a an impromptu meeting at the lunch break that she just weren't there to come to and so on so um yeah that's a really good point and i don't know if i if i have a, a solution to it unfortunately I think it's going to be really, really hard. And I know there are lots of lots of people who are looking at this issue and how it can be resolved. But ultimately, um, you know, it's going the businesses are going to have to be incredibly self-aware to be monitoring this and agile in terms of actually adapting to be able to reflect a, a more equitable, um, equitable way forward with the flexibility that that people need. Um, but just sort of I think there's, there's such a broad topic around um, this this sort of equality that we need across every area in this. But could you um, tell us a little bit more about um, what you think we could do in terms of creating a more equitable future and 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 driving um, driving that forward? You know, how do we all take part in in um, in making things better? Um, yeah, this is a really big question, um, a really important question. And oof, where do you start? It's super overwhelming, but you know we can't shy away from it because it is super overwhelming. And the answer is, what can we do? Everything, like everything, is changing. And I, I guess the way my mind uh, thinks about this is, if we start from the end, so what do we want it to look like in you know in an ideal uh, life? Um, and it is to have more women, different races, different cultures, you know, all, all around us really in our workplaces. And then how does that, um, how do we get there? It's like, it's about who we, who we hire. So then it's about how do we change our hiring um, processes then? And how do we interview? And how do we put opportunities up? But then it's not always all just about getting the right people in the room and getting the right jobs, but it's also about them feeling confident and having their voices heard. Um, and then how do we even do that? And then if you go even far back, further back than that, and you think it's about education, it's about uh, having a, a equality, in, in everything, you know, in schools, in how people talk to us, in the role models we have, what voices have been heard is, is, is massive. Um, 
And I think a, a really big thing for me is like being there to to be to be support for people that feel they have none. And I th this is something that we're trying to do in um, uh, Ladies at UX, which is a community group where we're running in Bristol. Um, it's sort of because we recognize that actually women in UX are not as commonplace. Um, they definitely weren't, at least when we started six years ago. Um, so we're creating this sort of support network between us all. So, you know, we're creating, we're going to be your village when you feel alone in the sea of men. Um, and, you know, I've been there, you know, I've been the only woman in a, in a room full of males, uh, you know, sometimes developers, sometimes delivery managers, and it's a lonely, scary world, and it's very hard to get your voice heard. So it's all that stuff is about, you know, putting that idea across in people's cultures, including women themselves, that you're not alone, your voice counts as much as anybody else's. This is some skills you can develop if you feel you'd like that and you need that. And also this is some platforms you can have to play along and have a little try at this. And, you know, we, we can do a lot to, to help support that. I, yeah, I was going to talk about Ladies of US, you know, it's an incredible organization and I think it's, you know, it's, I guess it's a similar vein to um, Kerning the Gap, um, but more specialised in terms of industry. Um, and it's, I think the stories that, that we hear with Kerning the Gap of um, the lack of confidence, but actually often the reasons as to why that, that exists and, and how people have been treated in the workplace. And, and a lot of it is, is not even conscious it's you know it's subliminal in terms of the way people are um, you know these the people who are uh, senior are running the business you know they don't mean to cause offense but equally they're not thinking or or putting themselves in other people's shoes and um and actually you kind of think that's a bit bizarre because that's the whole point of human-centered design isn't it that you're you're actually taking yourself out of your own parameters and trying to imagine what that's like for other people Exactly. I think that's it. The, the theory is there. You know, we all talk the talk, but when it comes to working the work, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, I don't even want to take myself out of this when I say that. It's not to say that because I'm trying to change that and because I'm part of, you know, this human-centered design community, I'm a lot better than other people. I guess Hopefully, I'm a bit more conscious of it. So hopefully, I have moments in my life where I reflect upon what I do and who I am and what I say and how I say it and hopefully make changes. But by no means, I'm perfect. And I've definitely changed a lot through the years about you know, how, how I do this and what role I want to play in, in, in the community and in the world. You know. Um, I don't want to sound, um, you know, that I'm, I'm sort of the messiah here. You know, I'm not sort of <laughs> doing an awful lot, but even like being part of um, Ladies That Rex, um, you know, in a in a very active kind of way. Um, I also mentor um, when people approach me, send me emails. I don't blank people, you know. I sort of um, try and, and and encourage people in a, in any way I can. Um, yeah, I think we can all do something to actually walk the walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I agree. And I think, you know, it, it starts with little steps. And 
as frustrating as it, as it can be, ultimately, if everybody makes those little steps, we start to see change. It might not be seismic immediately, but but we can chip away at this and we can we can challenge. And I think the the um, points that you were making before around all of the different ways in which um, the the challenge is manifesting itself from education through to workplaces and everything else in between. It was a really um, eloquent sort of rounding up of, of the challenges that, that, that face. And, and also they're different for each, they're often different for each design discipline. So for example, industrial design, which um, obviously is one of our core disciplines in universities now that it's 50-50, but I'm st I've still got this, this huge question around what happens to all these female industrial designers when they graduate, because they don't go into industrial design. They go into research or, or they go into project management or they just disappear. It's just, it's like the Marie Celeste or something. I don't know what happens, but then equally you've got engineering. And I think uh, last year's graduate across all engineering was 18% uh, female. Mechanical engineering was 12. So clearly you only one in 10 that's graduating is a woman. And then you've probably got some of those challenges that we talked about in industrial design on top of that, where they actually end up, you know, moving out of their, their sort of core field into, um, into parallel areas. So, you know, there's, there's a difference even between the way that engineering needs to be treated, the way that UX needs to be treated, the way that industrial design needs to be treated. And there doesn't seem to be the presence um, the significant presence, probably because of the numbers or the lack of numbers, to um, to be driving forward these changes. And often, whilst I think um, we see allies in men and men who want to um, drive change and want to understand um, how it can be better and see all of the the case from a business case as well as a humanitarian perspective, um, they often don't know how to start and they haven't got that support network around them. So. Um, you know anything that anybody can do even if it's going into a school or or um you know uh, from sort of something that's you know quite straightforward uh, a mentoring an individual to something you know much more um, uh, you know much more sizable like ladies to ux then it all contributes so i think it's it's hugely important but um effie tell us you are going to also get loads of emails now because you've said that you <laughs> Yeah, bring it on. I really don't mind at all. I love it. Yeah, email me. Um, and tell us a little bit about from your own experience, what have been the most challenging and rewarding parts of your career to date? So I think obviously you talked earlier about how challenging it was to get into the field of UX after you'd had your kids and went back to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that was quite a big challenge uh, in many ways. And I think uh, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more just because I feel it's quite a common thing uh, that comes up with women. And I think it's just going back to being on maternity leave and having a gap uh, in my career and being a transformative experience in a very positive way. But also in the, the reality of it is also super hard because you change as a person, your life changes as a person, but also your confidence is zero. Like I remember, you know, uh, you know, I'm glad it's, it's not just me thinking that, even though at the time you think it's just you. Um, so um, it's very hard to suddenly kind of go back and sort of go get them and just work 
suddenly hopefully less hours if that will support your your life work balance and then have that go getting i am um, sort of um uh, attitude um to kind of maybe get promotions or be in the meetings and you know sell yourself and sell this idea it's very hard and it takes a while um and i think again it requires support um and I think going back to a little bit uh, what you were saying about allies, and I think that is a challenge I didn't overcome on my own. I would be, you know, a, a complete um, idiot just to stand here and say I've done it all myself. I did it because my husband was behind me 100%, um, and he prioritized my career, even though to start with was half the pay, maybe even less of what he was getting. But often you're in a reality where, you know, the other person, usually the man, has continued in the career. They have earned more money. So it's very hard to suddenly go, let's prioritize my smaller career that is probably going to be part-time. It's probably going to start with, start with a lesser salary. Um, so it's the, that gap just builds and builds and builds and grows rather than gets smaller. Because you almost feel you've already lost the, the, the game, essentially. Um, so yeah, going back to this challenge was, so yeah, I kind of, uh, I had a lot of support with my husband to just prepare massively, you know, just, uh, you know, to, he was taking days off so I can just sit down and uh, do interviews and prepare and uh, do uh, exercises that they send me and so on. So it was very hard to, to get the first role and then even like down to negotiating a salary, like how do you like put the price to, uh, for me, it was also a new role, but also when your confidence is so low and you think like, and I remember actually dreading them asking me how much I would like, because it's it's almost like it's not about the money, it's about how much do you value yourself? And you're asking me at the point where I don't value myself as a professional. I've been doing the mummy thing for a year. So... I remember said, oh, whatever, I'll just take whatever. And obviously they gave me some peanuts that I happily took. And then it just um, built a value resentful relationship when it sort of like then it came up like how much lower they agreed to pay me just because they could get away with it. Um, so, so that was one. And then I think as my career progressed and all that, I think my biggest challenge was being listened to. And part of that was... Um, I guess being a woman, maybe being newer, finding my voice, uh, also like in design, there's different problems that you solve and you're kind of sometimes since you're an expert of none, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm essentially a, a person advocate, I'm not an expert of any product, but I'm here to somehow have to convince people to listen to me because I'm an expert of who exactly, you know, I'm just an expert of people and listening. Um, so that was a, a big challenge to learn, like, how do I get people to listen to me? And what about the successes? Again, I think that the answer is the same as it was my challenges. So I think my successes was uh, finding my own voice, uh, being myself, uh, growing, and actually being listened to because it just changes everything in my perspective. Because if you're being listened to, then you know you're making a difference. 
because if you're in a room where they just want to tick the box of like in in my case what I do uh, user research oh we've done user research okay we'll hear it for now but actually they're not listening they're not taking it on board um but when I understood how do I communicate how do I actually make a difference then it just changed everything for me and then I became more successful I became more confident and I just took so much more pleasure in what I do and also like I was much more passionate about I want people to do this more because it's awesome, because it's changing the products and it's changing, you know, essentially the world in, in some ways, you know? So, yeah. I think it's really important as well that people own own their lack of confidence. It's something I've always suffered with and people always always dismiss it when I, when I talk about it. And they say, I say, oh, you know, I question myself all the time. I feel I have imposter syndrome, you know, all the time. And, and it's something... And then people will turn around and go, oh, no, of course you don't. You don't have that. You're really confident. And it's like, no, that's just a constant uh, something that I need to work at and get better at. And actually, um, I've kind of reached this point in my head where I believe that it's almost my superpower is my lack of complacency, because that's what lack of confidence drives. It drives lack of complacency. It means you prepare for things. It means you you check everything. And it means... Um, you know, you're careful about about what you do and how you do it. And consequently, I think you often do a better job. So actually, I think there is this opportunity to turn this this lack of confidence into a positive to some degree. But it's still it's always going to to kind of to, I guess, haunt us in, in our own ways. We'll always have those days where we just think, you know, are they going to find me out? Absolutely, and I completely agree with what you say. Um, I and also it's the reason why I'm in the industry I am and doing what I do because I love learning and I love just not being sort of like resting on my laurels and thinking, oh yeah, I've made it now. I'm here. I've arrived. Um, there's so much to learn, um, and this is also the most exciting bit about being in design. Uh, that is just an exciting place that you can always learn, and also there's all you can always do better. Um, and I love that. Um, it's never done, right? It's just um, a design, design is never done in, in any way. You can always um, improve, move on, update, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. I think that's true. I think the other thing that, that people sometimes lose sight of is, is career paths. You know, it's not this kind of perfect graph which has this, this you know, this line which is just on this 90-degree trajectory uh, you know, to the the top of the pile, it's 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 like a, a stairs, you know. But some of them you go up, and some of them you go down. It's a snakes and ladders board, and you need to, um, you know, when you were talking about sort of your, you know, your lack of confidence following having your kids. When I after I'd had my first kid, which is actually when I joined KD between my first and second, um, I um, I actually. Uh, I took a massive pay cut. I swapped roles because my expectations from my previous employer was so high. Um, it was unfair, and I thought I can't, I can't do that. So, I, I swapped roles and took a massive pay cut. Took a huge reduction in responsibility from where I was, and then was in a situation where I remember being a bit petrified six months after I started when I had to go and tell them I was pregnant again. And um, you know, and it was funny because one of our team. Um, who started, she's been with us a few years now. She um, she came to us, I think it was in, came to me in, I think it was like week two. 
um, of when after she had started and um, and told me she was pregnant. And you know, I was thrilled for her, and I could get really had a massive hug, and she just burst into tears. And I said, "What's wrong? You know, it's it's absolutely fine. You know, we can work through this." And she was obviously just because she didn't she'd only been in the business two weeks. She didn't know what's expect. And then I met her husband for the first time. That was in sort of early autumn. Uh, a few years back, and I met her husband at Christ- uh, Christmas at the, the company Christmas party. That was when we could have parties, and um, and uh, and he he was the first thing he said to me was just, you know, he just thanked me for for being, you know, he was a bit teary actually, bless him, just sort of saying, you know, how supportive we've been, and you just think, how terrible is it that that is something? It's not just the status quo you know that should just be okay this is a fact you know you you know there shouldn't be this kind of relief or this gratitude um because you know because we've treated people fairly it's you know it's it's terrible that that the, the you know that's the the status quo that is such a good point mel and i think you're you're absolutely right in saying that it is actually awful out there and this is definitely a you know problem that i've encountered in many ways they've been pregnant in this industry is really hard because also um, I had a really hard uh, pregnancy uh, for, you know, when you often women, when they're at the start of pregnancy, they can feel really sick, really tired, really not together. But at the same time, don't want to be sharing it openly yet because a lot can change. So no one knows. And I, uh, when I had in my second pregnancy, I was in a very kind of high, you know, stressful, very busy kind of agency. And obviously I didn't tell anybody I was pregnant and I was really suffering and I was in an awful project that I found really stressful. Um, but no one, you know, kind of knew. I, I felt like I couldn't ask for slack because I, I didn't want to have to sort of say why. Um, and then I, unfortunately, I ended up having a miscarriage, um, and that was really hard because then all of a sudden, um, you have to kind of come out with reasons and why. And and you know, my manager was a young man, and I just found that he found it really hard to know what to say. Um, but also, I remember my initial thought was. I'm gonna let my team down because obviously I, you know, this just happens. You know, you can't say, oh, I will be taking off in two weeks' time. It just happens one day. You wake up and you say, sorry, I'm not coming in. And I, I remember going, oh, I just feel so guilty that you know there was a presentation coming up and I won't be there. No one will know what they'll be doing. And I just felt this is not right. You know, I'm going through this grief. And also that the other thing that when it comes to events like this, it's very hard to understanding yourself but also like communicate that it's not just about the practicalities of it is emotionally it's like a grief process and that's again is something that innately not everybody will understand so the expectations of like okay so you'll be back in two days then and you kind of almost feel like a bit of a slack to say actually I might need a bit longer because this is costing quite a lot emotionally so it's a lot there that actually again, kind of puts the pig on the back foot and also adds to the challenges that unfortunately are quite unique to us as women. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I just want to say myself that I'm well done for you for being so supportive because it is not the status quo for sure. But, you know, we've all been there. We've all, you know, had those experiences. We've, you know, I've, I've, there are some things that I still struggle to talk about where I put work before my kids' needs. And and I feel it's just so unbelievably guilty as a mother 
Um, and you know, it's it, it's really it's a really hard area to talk about. So, you know, it's something that we we need to change. You know, we need to stop these Instagram posts of you know these women with five kids getting up at six a.m. doing a yoga class and and then you know making their packed lunches and then getting into the office. You know, at eight thirty, it's like that's not life. You know, it's gonna you're going to probably you know collapse of exhaustion within the space of a week. Well, I certainly would. Um, my uh, my home life is definitely not like that. So I think we need to be a bit more open, you know, and honest about about what these challenges are and and challenge a bit more. I think probably say no a little bit more, um, you know, as part of that journey. Absolutely, Mel. I couldn't agree more. And also, you know, I'm someone that I actually absolutely love what I do. And I, of course, I love my kids as well. So I, I kind of felt like when I, I was growing my family that I almost had to be forced to choose between the two. And I kind of always refused to do that because I, I want to do both. I want to have a family and I want, and that's not being selfish, surely. It's just like two things that I love and I want to continue doing and I want to do them well. Um, and I think with a bit of support and the right systems in place, you can't do both well without feeling like guilty all the time that I'm not in enough meetings or I'm not in enough, you know, um, you know, children plays or whatever. Um, and I think one thing <laughs> that I did that's kind of crazy looking back to it now, but it was a little bit of a stance uh, to it is um, uh, when I was um, when I had my second uh, baby when uh, she was four weeks old, uh, there was a conference, uh, the UX Bristol Conference, and I, lo I love that conference, and I, I, I used to go uh, whenever I could, and uh, I kind of emailed them and said, can I just bring my baby? And I thought, you know, they'll be like, oh, not sure about that, too. and you know, but actually said, yeah, just bring it on, and they were super supportive and really glad, you know, they were very kind of open to saying, actually, thank you for coming and thank you for, you know, for asking and what the lovely thing to do kind of thing. And to me, it meant a lot to feel like still welcome as a mother. Uh, and not feel like, oh, my mother now, I'm not part of these games. Because I, lo I love that, you know, I love confidence, I love networking. Why shall I not be invited into these games anymore kind of thing? And, um, and you know, of course, I'm not even saying that, okay, let's just like work and have our children all the time, you know. You know? I think four weeks was kind of a good age because they mainly sleep and... Yeah, you know, it's a great conversation starter as well, Effie. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I must say, like, when I went, I kind of felt quite selfish, like, I went through so many emotions, like, uh, but one of it was, like, I'm being, like, really selfish right now, like, both because of other people being there, and maybe my baby will cry, um, or even for my baby, like, is this a good environment for my baby to be in, um, I actually, you know, she slept, all the time and obviously if she said I just left the room I wasn't just standing there changing nappies on the tables you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I think um I think we could talk for for hours and hours uh, on these topics and, lo and lots of others that that sort of intersect with it but um I've got one last question for you Effie which is you know we've talked a lot about um the challenges that, that we face and um, and how we can start to address some of those. But what what single piece of advice would you give to, you know, Effie sort of post-graduation, wanting to get into the industry? What would you what would you say to your younger self now? 
Mm, yeah, that is a really good question. I love the question. Um, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know that advice that your parents tend to give you, like don't speak to strangers. I would almost say, don't listen to that advice and speak to lots of strangers. <laughs> because I feel actually in my career, um, knowing people, speaking to people, opening myself, you know, to other people speak to me, like being part of the Lake text community, you're replying to the random emails, sending random emails, it's like a big part of what, you know, who I am today, uh, what all the opportunities I've had and uh, every person I've met in my life has sort of added a little um, part in my path, you know, I just, um, so yeah, I would say please speak to people and don't don't worry, like uh, it will all come together. That's brilliant advice, brilliant advice. So everyone go and speak to strangers. I'm not sure we could get into the back of vans with them or accept sweeties from them, but we should definitely chat to them, yeah? Oh yeah, absolutely, no sweeties, just, uh, <laughs> just chat. <laughs> Thank you so much, Effie. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and I look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening, please rate, review and subscribe and keep your eyes peeled for our next episode.